Welcome to The Legal Tea, the podcast where we interview lawyers brewing beyond corporate law. Each week, you'll hear about their practice area, the work they do, and the roads they've taken to get there. I'm your host, Max Herberg. Happy New Year, everybody. You know what that means, the barrage of New Year, New Me posts. It's a time where people's resolution lists are longer than your case law reading list and as likely to succeed as Trump's election fraud lawsuits. Personally, I know I'm unlikely to lose this COVID-19 belly I've packed on from all the good Christmas food. But in the spirit of optimism, let's play a game of chance. Let's say that perhaps we will resolve them all. After all, Abba said it best. The winner takes it all. Here to talk to us about our chances this week is Jessica Wilson, an associate gambling lawyer. In our talk, we discuss the parameters and functions of gambling law, the multifaceted nature to the work of a gambling lawyer, as well as how sometimes taking a chance and venturing out into a completely new practice area can literally pay off. So, sit back, relax, brew yourself a cuppa, and enjoy the show. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very good. Very good. Before we jump right into it, for the audience who are listening to you for the first time, if you don't mind introducing yourself, explaining what you do. Sure. Um, so I am 18 months qualified. Um, I currently work at a law firm that specializes in gambling and gaming law. So I am a gambling lawyer. Before that, I trained at a medium-sized full-service city firm. And before I joined my current firm, I'd not actually done any gambling law experience. So I went straight from qualifying to practice area that I knew nothing about. But a minute now, I've been there 18 months and really enjoying it. I guess you could say you took a bit of a gamble there. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I took a risk. <laughs> and it paid off well. It paid off well. <laughs> it did, it did. So what is gambling and, and, and gaming law? Um, so gambling law and gaming law is sort of the regulation and the rules around the gambling and gaming industry. So mainly um, sort of licensing, regulation and enforcement for gambling operators. So essentially, it's it's a way for casinos and things like the way to get their license to practice gambling. Yeah. So the laws are obviously obtaining the license, but then also what do you do when you have the license and compliance and how that industry is regulated by the laws and then also by the Gambling Commission, the regulator. And within that, it's not necessarily casinos, obviously, there's different areas and it's all branched out now as well. But it's mainly the licensing and regulation elements. And how does that regulatory framework work? You talked about there being gambling commission, but you also discussed about how there are many different types of operators or people that need gambling licenses or gaming licenses, not just casinos. So are they all in their own specified legal frameworks or is gambling law just a general generalists regulation so the gambling act is the overall main piece of legislation and that applies to gambling which is gaming betting or lottery and there are also other elements in there like gambling software and gaming machines but that is sort of the main piece of legislation 
We then have the Gambling Commission, which is the government body that licenses and regulates gambling operators and the gambling industry. So they issue guidance. However, they also issue the LCCP, which is the License Conditions and Code of Practice aka the gambling law bible (laughs) Um, and license holders have to be they have to adhere to those license conditions in order to be compliant so the gambling commission will make sure or are checking that you're compliant but the overall gambling law as it were the legislation is the gambling act the main one all right. So then in, in essence, you've got this one general gambling act, yeah. but alongside of that, you have codes of best practice and, and guidance that helps to keep it up to date as, as gambling takes on new forms. Yeah, of course. And I mean, we can get a new LCCP every three months or so as things change and develop and the Gambling Commission needs to put in some updates, especially also lockdown as well, all sorts of changes all the time. A lot to get into then. But before that, I just wanted to pick up on how you said that you decided to switch into this practice, not having had any, any formative experience in gambling law. What made you get into it? So as I was looking to qualify, the firm I was at offered me a role in a practice area that I wasn't particularly interested in. So I was looking for a new role, but you know, times are hard. And it it was a challenge. And I think I was leaning more towards sort of commercial roles. And then one day a recruiter of mine dropped me an email for this particular role that I'm in now and telling me, you know, it's a bit off what I was actually looking for, but it may be of interest. And then after a bit of research, I thought, you know what, sounds different, sounds interesting. I'm going to give it a go. And then by that time next week, I got the role. So it was kind of by chance mind the pun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad I'm there. And it's something that I probably would never have considered had the opportunity not arisen. And so then, like you said, you got the job a week later, you started at the firm. What was that like starting in a firm which specializes in an area which beforehand you didn't really have any form of practice in? Honestly, overwhelming. <laughs> um, it, it was It was scary. I mean, you go through your training contract and you know, you try so hard and then you, every six months you have to move department, well, generally, and you get so used to picking up new areas of law. But with gambling, there'd been no sort of prior, you know, nothing on the, you know, in your law degree, nothing in the LPC. Like, it's not really one, and regulations, not, it's not really talked about. It was overwhelming, but I think I went with an open mind and willingness to learn and what also helped was that my firm were looking for a new newly qualified solicitor that probably wouldn't have any previous gambling law experience because there are so few gambling lawyers out there they wanted to train somebody up to be a gambling lawyer so they were very open-minded with me coming in also with no knowledge Oh, interesting. And do you feel that having come from the outside and having done your training contract in you know, more of a commercial role, did you feel that you that you had things to bring to the table or were you able to make connections? Or is gambling law, say, this, this little isolated island with a bunch of casinos and just uh, this own licensing regulation? Definitely able to make some connections, particularly I would say with the corporate aspect. We sort of work with gambling operators from day one, and with that comes their corporate and commercial cycles. So being familiar with corporate structures, different types of entities, even different trust structures, so a bit of private client in there as well, just knowing 
those sort of principles and having worked with companies before is obviously helpful. And I wouldn't know coming sort of without that knowledge whether that how helpful it actually was. But I would say that there are some connections. I would say that if you and there are obviously firms that do other regulatory work like healthcare work things like that and that probably would also help in terms of knowing how you know you have a regulator and sort of how it works with the client but from a gambling perspective I think yeah you can draw upon different elements from different departments for sure. And so then your day-to-day job you help clients in terms of, of obtaining their license, of keeping their license, obviously, and responding to any complaints or, or summons or, or demands by the gambling commission. Mm-hmm. But say more on a, on a day-to-day schedule, what does any given week look like for you as a gambling lawyer? Pretty varied. Many different sides to it. You know, you have the more academic side where if we have a new company that wants to set up a gambling business, they will come to us and we will review their product and analyze their product and prepare a written, formal written piece of advice, deciding whether or not, in our opinion, it falls within the definition of gambling and therefore they need the license. A bit like a problem question in a university law exam, you know, applying the law to the situation and giving them an opinion. So there's sort of that academic side of it. And then some tasks that are a bit more process driven. So paying applications to the Gambling Commission, an operator wants to vary their license to add betting to their license, which currently is only casino. Um, so those sort of applications. And then further on the line, if the Gambling Commission ever reviews an operator's license and you know is pursuing some enforcement action, we then have more like strategic perspective from our side where we're helping our client preparing representations to the commission and helping them find a regulatory settlement. So really varied, I would say. Oh, it's quite interesting. So you've got that nice trifecta of, say, the academic, the procedural, but then also the court slash tribunal action. More strategic. I would say less. It's not really, like very rarely we get involved with the courts and tribunals. It's um, sort of the Gambling Commission's own review process, but yeah, enforcement action. All right, yeah. Just going back to the academic and seeing whether your client's product falls under gambling. I used to think of gambling just in terms of gambling is anyone that wants to make some sort of casino, whether it be landlocked, remote, online. But as you were saying, part of your role really involves analyzing your client's product or any type of software that they're making and whether it would fall under gambling regulation. So that to me makes it seem a lot more open-ended than one might think essentially saying that there are situations which people previously would not associate as being subject to gambling regulation, but are. What is the academic debate there in a sort of nutshell, if possible? I'd say, you know, when the Gambling Act came in, which is 2005, it was relatively black and white. This is my personal opinion. Um, You know, so it covers gaming, which is playing a game of chance for a prize, betting, lotteries, gambling software and gaming machines. However, it's a little bit more grey at times now that technology is developed and the definition of gambling software is extremely wide. You know, you could have different people and different companies all playing a part in this gambling software, the graphics, the random number generator from one side. So there is a bit of debate there in terms of knowing exactly what company is doing what part and what element and whether that, in our opinion, falls within the definition of gambling software and therefore requires a license. 
there's also new areas um i think last time we had a a little chat we talked about loot boxes and um there's the debate there around whether they also fall within gaming you know playing a game of chance for a prize the gray area there is the fact that the prize needs to be money or money's worth and often they're in-game items which can't be sold so therefore not always classed as gaming and not really captured under the gambling act no, and I think that does put a clear picture, not only in terms of whether the specific type of product is gambling, but also in terms of what you were saying about the companies that make a part or have a role in this software. And yeah. I'm guessing the question is there whether each of them needs a gambling license. So the person that's doing the graphics, the person that's doing the number generator. Yeah, that is the question. So when clients come to us saying that we're going to build this app and we say, okay, well, which company is building which parts of this app and who has the IP? and who has done the graphics and who's built the actual game itself or is it a platform and it's trying to know all the different components and whether accumulatively they fall within the definition of gambling software and require to be licensed. And is it, I mean, we've set up this trifecta and these three different types of work that you engage in. And I can imagine having multiple clients, it's not that, oh, this week I'm only going to focus on this academic question of whether it's a gambling software, or this week I'm going to look at the procedural steps of getting a license. I'm guessing you have, I don't know, maybe three, five clients. One is for the academic, the other two are for procedural, and the last one is for the written representation. Do you enjoy this shifting of mindsets? I guess you have to if you're a gambling lawyer, but do you find it difficult to transition or because it's all at the end, you know, part of this gambling law? Depends on the client. (laughs) 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 No, I'm joking. Um, I mean, it's part and parcel. There are different parts that take longer. And it also depends at what stage of the cycle the client is at. If it's a new client, we'll often be starting with the advice and that academic side. And we turn that around pretty quickly. If it's sort of more the process side applications, like applying for a license, which can take, it can take months to put together a license application. And then also you have to wait for the gambling commission to review it and ask any questions and those sort of things. It could take a long time, but some of the processes are statutory based. For example, if there's a change of control, so company A, which has a operating license from the commission, is bought by company B. Company B has not been approved by the gambling commission. So you then have this big application to make to the gambling commission, but you have a five-week deadline. So when you have those sort of statutory deadlines, then it becomes quite intense and you're focused on that just for that one time and everything else has to be pushed aside. But I think, you you know, like any job, you get used to the different intensities of work and the different deadlines. You just learn to prioritize. Adapt to the wavelength that is the kind of the gambling law. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And just on that beginning about the clients, I mean, jokes aside, you know, my conception obviously comes from the Hollywood movies where casinos and gambling establishments are all crooked. They love to operate in the gray area. They're looking to exploit all the loopholes in the law. In your experience dealing with clients that are looking for gambling licenses or inquiring as to whether they need a gambling license, do you see this loophole achieving attitude or do you see them more as just people that want to make sure that they're complying with the laws and regulations? I would say it really varies. Like a lot of clients will have done quite a bit of research and they know that, you know, it's a heavily, particularly in the UK, it's a very heavily regulated market and they're not silly, but you do sometimes get some people who are just not aware 
that it's going to be harder than they think. And applying for a license is, like I said, it's a difficult task. So often they don't really get that far if they've got this conception of house always wins and sort of trying to be a little bit risky. You know, Gambling Act specifies three licensing objectives. And one of them is that gambling has to be operated in a fair and open way. So transparency is something that the Gambling Commission will look for when reviewing any operating license application. So it's certainly a lot more restrictive than perhaps the movies make it seem. Fair enough. And also in terms of the gambling industry at the moment, how has your work changed because of COVID? Aside from obviously like any other firm, remote working. Has the gambling industry been affected in a, in a peculiar, acute way because of COVID? Um, yes and no. I would say yes in that a lot of our clients have had to furlough a lot of their staff, casinos have been closed, those sort of things. So in terms of sort of the day-to-day questions and emails that we'd get in about, oh, you know, we want to now hire this person, can we get them a license and those sort of things like that, that sort of slowed down. However, the Gambling Commission has not slowed down in any way, shape or form. So... The Gambling Commission has kept us very busy, still issuing letters, still reviewing licenses and things like that. On top of that, I think after the first couple of months, there are a lot of people who are you know, in lockdown and had time to think up all, all these crazy business ideas. We've had a lot of new clients sort of knock on our door. <laughs> I've got a new product. I've got to make sure that it's compliant with the Gambling yeah. yeah, you'd be surprised. There's quite, quite a few of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just on the point about the employee and the furlough, because initially I I thought you were going to head in the direction in that you guys had to help them out with their employment contracts and and the furlough process. But in terms of getting the employees a license, so is it not that the gambling establishment, say, I don't know, William Hills or just say the local casino, the business owner has that license. Is that not enough? Do you need a license for the individual employees themselves? Okay, so there's also personal licenses and there's personal management license and a personal functional license and PMLs and PFLs. PFLs are more for like croupiers who are actually in the land-based casinos, you know, dealing. Whereas the management license is for those people who hold key positions within the management of the licensed operator, they need to hold their own personal license. So if you, the CEO, who would usually be responsible for the overall strategy and delivery of gambling, marketing role, the compliance role, finance role, and IT head of IT and security, those individuals will need to apply for personal license, which is a pretty intrusive process. You know, you ask about your assets, your liabilities, your CV, your past employment for five years. The Gambling Commission wants to know that these people are suitable for the roles because at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, they are personally accountable for whatever's gone wrong. Wow. So essentially an FBI interrogation into your whole life story, (laughs) any naughty thing you've ever done, kind of, they want to make sure it's cleared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is relatively intrusive, but from um, experience of discussing with our clients and things, the processes in other jurisdictions, such as some of the states in America, are really, really intrusive. You know, where have you been on holiday and why did you go on holiday? <laughs> yeah. So ours is not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine in the US it must be even worse because you've got to go, especially if you're, say, a corporation that has multiple establishments, you need to get a license for each individual state. Yeah. which each can have its own regulatory framework, yeah. which is a nightmare, but no. <laughs> um, then I, I want to go back again to your personal experience and transition from commercial and gambling law. Sure. What has been your experience in working in both an area such as gambling law, but also working for a firm 
that specializes in gambling law. I know we talked about in our previous discussions that your firm also specializes in liquor licensing. Yeah, we do a little bit. But I mean, gambling and and liquor kind of go hand in hand, in my opinion. Seldomly do you find a guy betting in a casino without a drink in their hand, at least not in the movies. But (laughs) that might be another factual inaccuracy I've got to blame Hollywood for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously, I I personally really enjoy working, A, the gambling industry, and B, at a firm that only really does gambling. I was also concerned going in that it would be a little restrictive, particularly as I hadn't had any experience experience in it before and my concern was that you know I wouldn't what if I don't like it will I be able to still find a job somewhere else even though I've opened the door and gone in to get the gambling world but it's actually really surprised me I found that being in an industry that perhaps I guess is is smaller means that you really get to play a part in the industry you get to attend conferences and those sort of things that are normally reserved for just those who are you know the partners and the top top dogs in the industry but you know you're really thrown into it from day one I think it may have even been day three when I went to my first sort of conference. Gambling never sleeps. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think there are a lot of benefits of working in a, a niche. Not only do you get to experience things that perhaps others and firms have to wait years and years to experience, you can also, I mean, I'm hoping there's like gain a following or gain a reputation relatively quickly because you're at a firm that justice is one thing. There's a focus on you and your development within that particular industry and you get to know the clients very well. And there's only so many, a handful of gambling lawyers out there. So you often get recommended and yeah, it's kind of good to feel kind of known, which I guess you don't really get or in you know other areas areas as much as quickly so essentially kind of being a a big fish in a small pond yeah yeah in terms of the pond itself are there a lot of law firms that practice gambling law there's a handful you'd be surprised at how many sort of of the larger well-known city firms actually do have gambling practices there often a small team. There's also a range of firms that do a bit more boutique like they will do sort of sports and gambling and um, sort of commercial tech side of things. And then, yeah, there's us and we just do gambling and liquor licensing. I don't think there's many of us in terms of firms that just have that one specialism. Other firms will take a more commercial or corporate approach as well. But we yeah, have consultants that do that sort of element for us. But yeah, you'd be surprised at how many um, law firms actually do have some form of gambling practice. And in in your experience thus far working in gambling law, the opportunities to get into gambling law, you see a lot of people starting out in gambling law once they've qualified, once they've begun, once they finish their training contract. I don't know if if your firm has any trainees that start out in gambling. Go to your firm and do gambling. Well, since I've been there, we've not had any trainees. However, there are definitely people at our firm who started out as trainees at our firm and are still there now. However, it's difficult to say, you know, it's quite a young firm. And I don't think people necessarily start out their legal career thinking, right, that's it, I'm going to be a gambling lawyer. Particularly in the larger firms that have gambling practices, you may start out in the commercial team and then there's an opportunity to sort of go across laterally to the gambling team and that sort of thing. But also there are opportunities in-house. You know, I've known a few people who were paralegals for gambling businesses in-house and then went from there into the industry. I think it, it varies. And I can imagine not starting out from the very beginning of your your legal career in gambling, instead having that experience in, in say, commercial or in another regulatory side of things does bring benefits to then when you transition into gambling law in terms of the things that you can incorporate from private client work, commercial. 
Yeah, of course. I think however you train and wherever you train, you're going to learn skills that are going to be transferable. I think if you want to go into an area like gambling law, you've got to have an open mind. And there aren't a huge amount of resources from a learning about gambling law perspective. But I think there is no way to train wrong. Like as long as you try your best in your training contract and take full advantage of all the opportunities given to you, you're going to develop skills that are going to be able to be transferred to any practice area. Talking about those skills for someone that wants to pursue gaming law, what do you think are the skills that are necessary to succeed? First off, personal curiosity. Do we need to learn how to play blackjack and poker, how to count cards in order to to become a gambling lawyer? Um, If so, I'm very, very bad at my job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, obviously knowing your industry is good. I didn't know much about the gambling industry beforehand and I swatted up just before joining. But there are no particular skills, I would say, other than just your general good lawyer skills, you know, organisation, communication, hard work those sort of things and I can take each one of my training contract seats has taught me a different thing I would say you know private client got me the ability to speak to individual clients and get confident on the phone that's the sort of department that you're dealing with a lot of clients face to face corporate you know the hard work the late hours we all know litigation I guess the more process side meeting statutory deadlines and working to those sort of things and property and maybe with no organization I can't say it's anything in particular that gambling law requires but you've got to be on it and you've got to be open to change because our rules are changing all the time I guess you've got to follow the the gambling commission's twitter account to get yeah. the latest updates as to the, the latest practices <laughs> get those news blasts sign up to those <laughs> <laughs> and one thing, you know, not going to lie that COVID has really put with a lot of law students and maybe even current trainees and a lot of uncertainty as to the future job market. And the conversation that we've had, you've discussed about your experiences about making a transition from commercial to gambling or something completely new. What would you say to people who are quite uncertain about their future career paths? I would just say, make sure that you are certain, like it's a big life decision. And it's also never too late to do things slightly later if you want to take some time out to really think about it and wait till things are settled. When I started training, I was 24 and I was the youngest trainee by far, like by by a good five years. And it's a big life decision. There's, there's no need to rush it. There is no need. And you want to make sure that you're at the right firm and you're doing the right thing. And maybe use this time to make sure that this is for sure what you want to do. I think that's a great point. I think of the law degree or kind of the legal profession as, as one of the only degrees in university where on the first day or in the first term, I don't know if you've had this experience, you're already being shoved with all these career paths opportunities and you've got to apply to these open days to get those vacation schemes, to get those training contracts. I haven't even opened the textbook to understand what the law is. I'm already being told about my future role as a solicitor at a, at a magic circle or any, at any type of firm. And so I think because of that, law students have this mind mindset of now, 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 now. Any deviation from that path seems the end of the world. So I really like the point that you mentioned about taking your time and being certain about the decisions that you're making instead of feeling pressured because of the time to make decisions. Yeah. And I feel like I kind of wish I had that advice when I was in that position purely, not because I think I made the wrong decision, but purely because I was very demoralized by the fact that it took me longer than perhaps my peers to get a training contract when actually there was no need to feel that way at all. Particularly as when I turned up on day one, you know, I was the youngest by far. There's absolutely no rush. 
I think there was a statistic the other day, I think it was like the Law Society, which said that the average age of qualification is something like 28 or 30. There you go. Yeah, which from a law student perspective, you're thinking, no, 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 no that, that can't be right because everyone around me is already applying for training contracts and has got training. But no, when, when you really look at the macro, you can actually realize that taking a couple of years is quite ordinary, it's quite normal. Of course. I'd like to end each interview, Jessica, by asking a sort of fun round question to end on a light note. You know, we've gone the inspirational, we've had a few cheeky puns about gambling law, learned a lot about the Gambling Act of 2005. But now to end off on a sweeter note, I'd like to ask you, what is your favorite dramatized legal character and why? Um, I'm going to be cliche and say Elwoods from Legally Blonde. (laughs) How come? She's determined. She got what she wanted, she went against all the odds and nobody believed in her, but she did it. She made it. She got there. You you will get that training contract. Fantastic. A a true inspiration then. (laughs) Well, that's all the questions that I have for today, Jessica. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And I really hope to see more things gambling law. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really good to chat. Fantastic. Have a good day now. Yep. You too. Thanks, Max. Well, there you go, folks. That's all for this week. I hope you all re-enter the working world feeling lucky and ready to prove that the house does not, in fact, always win. Special thanks to our unsung heroes, Kyle Herberg for editing and producing the episode, Andrew Waddell for scripting the show notes and blog post, and Matt Gedridge for the absolute banger of a theme song. If you enjoyed the episode, show us some love. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on our social media platforms for the latest updates at legalt.uk. Till next time.